Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Nordea Open Special, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. We take you behind the scenes in Bostor. Interview Rude and Rublev. And sit down with former bar number two, tournament director Magnus Norman. Chris, today we are doing something a little bit different at Tennis Weekly HQ, and we're going to be talking about your trip to the Dordea Open. And uh, before we get into it, I'm actually I'm actually a little bit relieved because on the script you have put Nordea Open and not Bostad or Bastad, uh, so I'm I'm not going to get into any sort of pronunciation troubles. Well, you already have Joel with that because it is Bostor. It's not Bastad. <laughs> it's not Gastad. It's none of those, Joel. I know it's confusing. It's a total nightmare. It, it is. is a total nightmare. It is. I mean, what what is what is uh so Bastad or Bostor, that is the the city. What is what is Nordea? Is that the is that the region? What is what is that? The Nordea region of Sweden. I can confirm that's not the case. It's actually a bank. <laughs> uh, it's a bank in. Oh, okay. Yeah, and okay. so they sponsor the event. And if I had been banking with them, I would have got a free bucket hat. But next year, there's always next year, Joel, when I can get my hands on one of the bright blue bucket hats. <laughs> they maybe shouldn't. Maybe I was. Oh, I would have hoped. Maybe the blue bucket hat was part of if you won the Nordea Open. That would have been a. Forget fancy trophies and all that stuff. Bucket hat. That's what I want. I did think that was kind of iconic. They did get a bucket hat when they won, as well as Casper got a picture of a champagne bottle and Andre (laughs) got the champagne. So I'm not sure if he's going to hang up the picture, but there's this wonderful clip where he can't even clap because he's he's holding his bucket hat, his picture, his trophy, his flowers and his check. I mean, it was such a great spectacle, wasn't it? The final, because it was a 250. We had two top 10 players and Andre Rublev, did come out the champion over uh, Kasper Rude, 7-6, 6-love. And we have our tour catch-up, which we recorded on Monday to kind of talk about the action and kind of the yeah the, the press room and what that was like. But really this episode, we're going to be focusing on specifically some really interesting insights from Andre Rublev, Kasper Rude. We've also got some interview time with Magnus Norman as well. So um, yeah, we're going to be deep diving into all of that. Before we kind of get into those clips, Chris, you obviously were there for the whole week. Just kind of tell us a little bit about the the experience of, of being there in this 250 clay event. Um, yeah, what was, your, what was your experience like across the week? Well, so I had been previously last year, I went to the final... And it's very easy for anyone in Copenhagen. You hop on a train for two and a half hours and you are there. But I was actually coming from a different part of Sweden. But in terms of the whole nature of the tournament, it's set in this uh, summer town um, with a very small population of around 5,000 people. 
And then in the summer, lots of people on their boats come come down. There's lots of um, German people come over as well and Norwegians. And it becomes this wonderful summer destination. So there are beach bars. It really does have some great vibes there. A little bit of a party atmosphere. Our Airbnb host was a bit nervous we were there to party, but we did assure her we were with the tournament, which I think she only believed when she saw our accreditation. Well, I have heard also, isn't there a famous, is there like a famous local nightclub? Yes. Um, I believe... I believe there is a clip on social media circulating of Andre Rublev um, celebrating uh, in this nightclub on top of on top of like the beam in the roof. Is that like a is that like an institution in the area? Oh, it is. I think Joel, if you were there, that would be the place we'd find you. <laughs> is that where I would be? It's the vo- Forget the, tennis, the vodka so just, revolution just of the Bostar Strip. <laughs> but no, it does have cult status, and that's where everyone heads and. Multiple players kind of go there throughout the week. We did see Zverev and Rublev there. So that wasn't his first uh, attempt at going there. But I mean, Pepe's Bodega is, is the name of the place. And it's quite quite the cultural institution there. I think um, everyone has some good and bad memories mm. from spending time there. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely would have maybe sneaked off, maybe left you to the tennis. I would have sneaked off maybe to the, uh, maybe I would have sneaked off to the club. But um, yeah, I mean, it was an eventful week, wasn't it? I mean, apart from having two top tenors in the final, I mean, we had Leo Borg's first win. We had the big, the big breaking news at the start of the week with Emer's uh, anti-doping news coming out all over social media. Is still coming out, I feel, on on Twitter from his personal account. Um, and we also had the uh, the reports of um, you know Zverev some further abuse allegations. So yeah, just talk to us in terms of like what was going on in the press room because I feel like you would have gone in there and just been like let's focus on the tennis but actually when all these kind of news stories were breaking were the kind of the bigger stories actually off off court instead yeah and I think when you when you think about what you've just asked um it doesn't feel like a 250 because of just how many people attend it just how um, big the stands are but also just how big some of the stories were that came out of the tournament it definitely felt like in a week where uh, it was sharing the spotlight with some other 250 tournaments that this was the 500 of the 250s in many ways because of how much was going on and just how much of the attention was there. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stories. Leo Borg, very big deal in Sweden. And obviously the Swedish number one, Kalima, that's the biggest story probably of the week. And he was a very noticeable absence there um, mm. for reasons other than the the doping situation um, and the mistest, well, the mistesting. Um, so it did feel like this whole week, it's kind of been... Um, a 250 media room which had to operate a bit like a, a very serious sort of operation at times with some pretty heavy questions being asked and how did it work in terms of the like local like local language media and like english english speaking media was it uh was that quite a challenge to sort of juggle with well um i did say to casper i have to apologize i don't speak norwegian or swedish and he said <laughs> he said it was fine was he surprised uh i think to be honest the nature of how it works when you speak um so Swedes will speak Swedish to Norwegians and Norwegians will speak Norwegian back and they understand and the same with Danish and Swedish. So I think actually sometimes it's just nice for him to speak English because then nothing gets lost in, in translation. So a few times he did switch to English to make sure that everyone was very aware of what was being said and not to get anything kind of misconstrued at all. But um, he was not surprised that I couldn't speak any languages at all um, as a Brit in Sweden. Well, I mean, Kasper Ruud obviously was probably the, one of the, the biggest players there, like home hope, wanted to see how he got on. And you actually got some time to spend with him, to chat with him about the tournament um, and about his experience um, you know, with the tournament as well. And this is what he had to say. And then final question, you talked about on court, the fact that 
Uh, it almost feels like a home tournament here for you. The fact yeah. you drove down, you have family here. Um, a few words on the support that you feel playing here. Oh, it's great. Um, you know, for Norwegian, if you're a Norwegian tennis fan, this is the closest that you can kind of uh, come to have a tournament at home soil. We don't have a tournament uh, in Norway. We don't unfortunately even have a challenger or future tournament at this stage we used to have some future tournaments back in the days but um, it is something that i hope can come to norwegian soil one day uh, to be able to play an atp event on norwegian norwegian soil would be amazing uh, but bostad will do just fine for now and uh, a lot of norwegians have taken the, the the drive down here to come and come and watch and support and uh, it's a great opportunity for me to play close to home and i think also a great opportunity for norwegian tennis fans to take the trip down not just to watch me but to other watch other great players as well and uh for hopefully young Norwegian tennis kids can be an inspiration and motivation to see other professional players playing close to their home. Thank you. And that is something that I think probably uh, people wouldn't realise, that there isn't a tournament in Norway and that this is very much Casper's home tournament. He drives down there. We did speak about his little dog causing interruptions to the final, <laughs> little bias. I, that tweet literally broke our our social media. I thought, you know, it might, might be something, you know, like maybe in the Wimbledon finals, Carlos Alcaraz. But no, Casper Ruud's dog is like, he's, he's like a media darling at the moment. Or he's a Tennis Weekly media darling. Well, he is. And then at Hamburg, they were posing for pictures, him and Andre outside of the, the hotel with the dog. So the dog <laughs> is still very much on, on the trip. But in terms of the, the nature of being so close it means that some of his family were able to come down there's so much support for him he kind of is the prince of scandinavia in the sense that he's so universally liked across scandinavia um in this sense so in the final the support was obviously for him and that was of kind of a, a, what people were probably hoping for on the day would be that it would be a very close final with Casper coming out on top so i think it, it is very nice but it is just I mean, it points to the fact there's still no atp tournament in Norway or in Denmark but they both have top 10 players um, uh, top 10 players for, on the ATP side of things so it, it is interesting you do find this quite often but it does feel a little bit odd that Sweden would have two tournaments um, but without any top players I mean just talk to me about that because obviously Kasparud is not from Sweden but as you say he sort of like treats it as his his kind of second home is there sort of is it like we're all in this together as one and he, is he like almost kind of treated as a as a local and what is like the fan kind of reaction to him? Are they all kind of clamoring uh, towards him, asking for for autographs when he when he walks around? What's like his his treatment? Would you say in uh, in Sweden, being from Norway? I mean, he's he's everyone's favorite there, and a lot of Norwegians came down. We met quite a few who said we just saw he was playing and we drove down. We haven't got a ticket. <laughs> we just want to see Casper. So. Um, he is a big deal and people are very excited to see him there, but they are very respectful in Sweden. So you might mm. come up and sign something for a small child, but people will normally just say good luck or or uh, engage in a very small way rather than kind of clamoring over anyone. Um, it's not really the nature of, of the tournament or the culture, but it's very nice for him because he does obviously feel very at home and he was the headline act this week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he brought some fantastic tennis, I thought, throughout the week, you know, getting to the final. Yes, you probably would have been a little bit disappointed that he didn't come out as the champion. But, um, yeah, the, it was interesting, I think, like, just kind of watching watching clips of it, the, the conditions, it looked quite windy at times, didn't it? And um, we're going to hear from Rublev and Rude 
about the conditions um, because, yeah, they were quite testing at times and this is what they had to say about it. In terms of your game state, pretty well played. Thank you. Um, the conditions out there were pretty windy. You did talk about it on court. Um, how well do you feel that your game um, kind of almost feels like custom built for wind um, in some ways in terms of the margin? Does it give you an advantage against flatter hitters? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I think I cope with the wind quite well. Um, I'm used to wind myself. Where I grew up was close to the sea as well. So uh, uh, wind was there definitely when I grew up. Mm -hmm. So I think... Uh, I have my way of dealing with the wind. Obviously, it can be frustrating sometimes, no matter how well or how bad you might feel like you play. But obviously, I think the just the level in general will kind of decrease a little bit when the wind is there. But you just have to kind of accept it. And uh, I think that's kind of what I try to do as good as possible, to accept that you won't be able to feel the ball completely perfect in the strings uh, for every shot. And sometimes you might miss time a shot. And that's why it's good for me to play with a lot of topspin. So I have a feeling that the ball will kind of dip inside no matter what balance I am in when I hit my shots. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of some of the stats you had today um, and yesterday, you're playing really well off the second serve mm. uh, with 73% of points won yesterday of your second serve and 60% today. Is that something you've been particularly working on? Um, um, you know, my shoulder has been a little, it's been bugging me a bit after all on Garros mm. and um, I haven't actually practiced too much serving the last weeks because it's been hurting every time. But just now the days leading up to Bosta is when I started again and it's been surprising, working surprisingly well. And I think it's just nice, a nice feeling to be able to hit uh, second serve at full speed the kick serves that I like to hit. You know, at Wim Wimbledon, I was trying to kind of save the shoulder by hitting a little bit more slice on the second serve, which is not something I typically do, but um, it was because I was still kind of feeling some some issues with the shoulder, but now I feel fine again. And um, I think the second serve is kind of biting pretty hard of the, of the clay here. And I think that's, it somehow kind of causes some issues maybe for my opponents and I'm able to set up the points well after a heavy kick server on the clay. Final question, so you're the number one seed this week obviously. Um, how does that affect how you play a tournament in terms of is there added pressure or do you think it's more of a privilege because your ranking has got you to this position? Uh, I think previously I felt a little sort of pressure every now and then but this week not really. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of other great players here and just going to try to kind of uh, survive day by day and get along with the tournament, that's the goal and then see what happens now when, when we're going into the, the weekend and um, you know, quarterfinals tomorrow, I'm going to try to play my uh, best possible and um, I think I just realized that um, I, I will lose with the ranking that I have now, I will, most of the matches that I lose will be against players who are lower ranked anyway, so it doesn't really matter if it's if you're first seeded or third or fourth or fifth or whatever, but, um, and it's not, uh, what should I say, it's no... Uh, no problem losing to lower ranked players at all. There are so many great players these days. So uh, yeah, I think uh, no, I haven't really felt pressure yet. Mm -hmm. But maybe maybe it sneaks up on me in the weekend. I'll ask again later. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Thank you. And so what I think is quite interesting there is that the nature of how it plays is that it can be very windy. It can also be very heavy, dependent on um, the day, and it can change very much within the day. So I think it is something where Casper, who has a bit more margin, it really does help him. Um, but I also think something that was very interesting when we talked to him um, in that clip was that playing as the number one seed probably 
isn't and being the headline act that we talked about in a place where there's so much support for you it probably is quite a lot of pressure but it seems like he's really settled into it very nicely and has kind of t- come to terms with the fact that if you are ranked number four unless you're losing to the top three players every week you will be losing to people ranked lower than you and and there's no shame mm. in that so I just think there's something about him that seems very balanced and that's something that I think has been really nice to see is that he's someone who just clearly enjoys playing tennis and win or lose, it's not going to affect how his day goes. He's still going to have a great time with his little dog um, heading off to the next tournament. Yeah, I think that's one of the beauties, I think, of of Rude's game is that he does play with a lot more margin, I think, than than other, other players. And when it comes to events where conditions can be a factor and, like as, as you said, kind of the, the wind this week, I think it really helps him and you know if his opponents aren't able to adjust to that I think his adaptability to um, the elements I think really really helps him so yeah it's interesting I guess to, to hear about that and as you said like it's quite interesting to hear I think in terms of he's almost like comfortable with with losing to lower ranked players than him I'm you know I'm just playing devil's advocate here but is there a feeling like um, do you want to see like more competition and be like no I should be living up to my ranking and absolutely like not be losing to anyone below is he too nice right I think that's Mm. the thing and he is he's an absolutely lovely chap he's wonderful at interviews and he makes time for everyone but um, I think to be honest it actually helps you have a much more relaxed approach when it comes to your game allowing him to peak at semi-finals because you're not so hung up on the loss you just had in the way that Rublev can be so hung up on the point he just lost and I actually think it means that he's probably got a lot more longevity and that's why he's had some of those higher peaks maybe than than Rublev has and um, something that did test Rublev during this week is the conditions that we mentioned and we asked him about it and we also asked him about how his serve was going and we also asked how he felt about being mistaken for Zverev. (laughs) Your experience here, it seems like you're getting used to the conditions and you're enjoying it more kind of match by match. Do you feel like you are adjusting? Uh, I hope at least at least uh, today for sure, because I was playing much better. I was more aggressive and I was making much more winners than yesterday, because yesterday I felt a bit lost on court after the grass. I was rushing sometimes too much. I couldn't find the rhythm. And today was completely opposite story. So yeah, and in, in the end, I was enjoying much more because I feel that I don't know everything going well. Um, and in terms of uh, the match, you saved both break points that you faced, and you served six aces, which was more than Sasha in the match. How important do you think that your serve was in terms of getting this done in two? Uh, I mean, the serve is always important. Mm. It doesn't matter who you play, where you play, if, because, I mean, uh, the same Sasha, he served 220-something and me, I served 200-something as well. So if you make those serves a lot close to the line, it's so tough to do something with them. So it doesn't matter where you play or who you play. Of course, you still can win matches because you're good from baseline, but if you serve... 200 something close to the line and you win you win much more easy points basically mm. because of this and you save mm. energy mm-hmm. yeah and um, final question not ex- exactly about the tennis um, but we uploaded a picture to our socials this week and people thought that Zverev was actually you because of your haircuts were quite similar I know is that something you've noticed and I don't know, are you many, okay with many, it uh, I don't know how they call me already everyone they call me Zverev Sinner Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, <laughs> almost everyone. Uh, I don't know, but I'm still waiting for the day that... Because, I don't know, at least, okay, when I'm 50 in a world, 
and they are calling me Zeri Fogey because he's much more famous or Tsitsipas. But now I'm at least a top 10 as well and they're still calling me. So nothing changed. Is such an interesting character, isn't he? He's he's so there's something like mythical I feel about him that is so alluring, uh, alluring to fans, and uh, that that I feel like that conversation was uh, no different. And I loved that banter that he had around sort of being mistaken with well Zverev, uh, Sinner, Sissipas. He did say Denis Shapovalov and. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I could see it with the other three, with the you know, with the long locks, etc. Particularly with Zverev and Sissipas, but Shapovalov, re- really? I mean, I don't see that, but I guess he did have long hair at one point, didn't he? So maybe that was <laughs> when he was coming up. But mm. um, I guess he can't catch a break. You know, he's a top ten player. He just wants to be recognised for being a top ten player. Um, but no, he he really does have those lovely moments in interviews where uh, he loves to crack a joke and. Um, especially when it came to this, he took it all in good spirits, um, as opposed to kind of being a bit annoyed that we asked a question that wasn't ex- exactly about the tennis. And I mean, just just back on the the talk on on the conditions and and playing with the wind and being able to play with margin. You know, I would argue to say that that Kasparud, yes, I think he can take that in his stride very well. Is it fair to say? from an Andre Rublev perspective it, it takes a little bit more time or his game is not maybe as suited to adjusting with conditions yeah I think that's something that does does feel like it's true um and I think the case in the final when we spoke to both of them was that it was just a case the conditions really played to Rublev's favor it wasn't as windy and he played lights out tennis and so I think Casper can play very I mean, he played a fantastic first set in the final but I do think that when Rublev is on, I mean, he gets some fantastic results. And, and when he isn't, like we've just seen actually in Hamburg, um, he can find a way to win, but it isn't always pretty. But on finals day, I mean, it was impeccable. And we spoke to Kasper about just how well he felt Rublev played and if that was the best he'd seen Rublev play. And we'll hear from him now. Kasper, unlucky today. Um, but was that the best that Andre's played against you and if he plays like that do you think he's capable of making a slam final or even winning a slam yeah for sure I mean he plays really aggressive um, no doubt about it um, and you know we were quite joking a bit about back and forth on, on the court about the certain things but uh, he said to me it's just a matter of time before you I hope you win or see you win your first grand slam and uh I didn't have the chance to tell him back, but I'm sure that he will do better in quarterfinals uh, in his career. I mean, he's just been a bit unfortunate in many quarterfinals. He lost many tough matches and many times he played Novak also, yeah. who is always going to be probably the toughest player to play in the quarters of a Grand Slam. So he's been a bit unfortunate, but uh, he's, um, he's a really good player. I think when he plays on top, uh, not many people can handle his uh, pressure and his aggressive style. And uh, he's one of the guys who plays, you know, fastest on tour in terms of how hard he hits the ball so he also moves well and today he was also you know did some good finesse shots mm-hmm. with a slice and certain things so he had kind of all all answers to my game today Kasper's had the finals Rublev's had the quarterfinals is it down to a bad draw or is it down to the fact that there's this mentality that Kasper kind of has in the, the big match player that he kind of has become three of the last well three of the last six Grand Slam finals where do you stand on that Joel? Yeah, it's tricky. I feel like, you know, I'd still say with Rude, he has a little bit of inconsistency at that Grand Slam level. It, it seems to be either I do really well or maybe I, I go out earlier in the week. And from an Andre Rublev point of view, I just think he is a lot more consistent when it comes to, you know, 
grand slams but also on the on the tour events but he maybe hasn't necessarily had the the breakthrough moment i think that um you know that that casper rude has and maybe we've seen you know a higher level from casper rude as a result you know he's he's reached grand slam finals andre rublev has not at the moment been able to to do that or even to crack a i think a, a grand slam semi-final so yeah, I think it's, it's a bit it's, of a Davidenko, yeah, it's int- isn't it, Rublev? Yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's like it's frustrating because you see like this tennis from from Rublev, particularly in the final, in the, you know, in the second set when he's you know he's bageling Casper Ruud, kind of six love. I feel like it's like it's there, but it might to me it's maybe more of the kind of the mental thing and the mental approach, and you know, with Ruud, it's like I think he has a very relaxed persona and. You could argue you could argue to say maybe he doesn't need a, a competitive edge because you know this is what he's most comfortable with with that sort of more relaxed position whereas I know some fans have spoken to me about Andrew Rublev and this feeling that does he you know does he want it too much and as a result does that affect his game particularly when it comes to Grand Slams with those big matchups that's a really good point and it does take him kind of a while after he's had a peak to kind of re-peak again it's not always his level and that was something that we actually asked him after the final in terms of where his level stood. Was this the best he played this year? Because that set against Casper, the second set, bageling the world number four, that really does feel like it would be. And he also mentioned some of the conditions that he liked, likes the heavy conditions that kind of played to his favour. And then he also mentioned um, a little bit of Rublo in terms of when that brand will launch. So we will get an exclusive there now. It wasn't our question, but the fans would love to know, Joel. So we'll hear from him now. Congrats on the win. Um, you won the tournament. You've conquered the weather conditions here. It did start quite windy early in the week. Um, and it seems like now you've got used to the conditions and that you might kind of really like playing in some of the conditions here. I like to play in those conditions that we played the final when it's, uh, let's say, cold and it's uh, like a cold and wet weather that the clay is heavy mm. because then it's tougher to accelerate and the ball is not jumping that high and then I feel like uh, everything is slower and I have much more time for everything mm. to return to attack and I, I like those conditions and it was the same a bit similar conditions when I was playing semi-final in Monte Carlo against uh, Fritz was also kind of they delay us because of the rain and was all day was kind of rainy and the clay was super heavy the balls after one game was super big and was yeah was a lot of rallies and I think this those conditions are excuse me well yeah um, you played a brilliant match and your backhand down the line especially was on fire um, in terms of your performance was that the best you felt on court this year uh, I would I would say the last couple of weeks I'm feeling the best for the moment so far mm. since maybe I don't know Wimbledon mm. nice yes, yes. Uh, you have played for the kids yeah. here yeah. uh, can you tell us what that means to you uh I mean, to don't make it long, 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 long answer, I would answer only about what it means with the t-shirt. Basically, it's a collection that I hope finally will release now in upcoming weeks because everything is a bit complicated to to do the final details with the online magazine. And uh, so, and finally, hopefully, in a couple of weeks, I will be able to launch it officially. And then I will say basically everything. What is the purpose of that? 
and we'll see. And if we, we talk in general, it's just, I don't know, to have something that, uh, I don't know, the kids, in my opinion, is very important and uh, to educate them in the right way to, to because in the end, this is our future and uh, how we will educate it, that the, the, is going to be the future. And, and uh, for me, I don't know, I feel, is important to help the kids, especially the ones who is uh, maybe doesn't have chance to have a good life, or in general to help to to help the kids, to to help them to be a better as a person, more humble, uh, to to help other people, and uh, if they if they need some surgeries and all this stuff, it's something that's important to me, and that's why. Fans wanted to know, and I wanted to know as well, because yeah, we we see a lot of tennis players, I think, or more nowadays, just kind of do their own thing when it comes to tennis branding and tennis clothing. You know, we have the RF line, Andy Murray has um, AMC. So it's interesting to see Rublev also going down this path. But Chris, we knew about this, like what? In, in January, there was an announcement. In January, um, yeah. And it still hasn't dropped. So we got a lot of no. people asking us when we spoke to him, <laughs> did anyone ask? And he said, it's, it's weeks, not months. So we can give that news to people. It's weeks, not months. Um, and Rublev is playing very well. So maybe all of it will come together and he will explain everything to us in terms of it's a brand, clothing brand that's not about clothes and it will feature, all we know so far is it will feature kind of his, his mantra of play for the kids, play for the light. And so hopefully we'll be able to give a bit more information in the coming weeks on that. But overall, I would say, I mean, it was a fantastic week for, for tennis and the tennis that was on display, five top 20 players um, and Rublev beating, I think, three three of them in a row. Um, Zverev, Serendulo, and then Rude. So where do you think this puts him going to the, the US Open swing, Joel? Oh, Is he a contender? It, it is tough to know, to be honest. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I see some of these events like, you know, they can build confidence and I think help build momentum. And I think for Rublev, you know, this is carrying on that momentum from what I would say was a pretty decent you know, Wimbledon showing from him. Having said that, clay conditions to hard court conditions, um, you know, is you know there, there's obviously some transition and adaptation there going from Europe, um, you know, to to North America. So I almost want to kind of wait and see in terms of how he's going to perform. I think time will tell for Andre Rublev as we head into the North American swing. But we're going to be taking a quick break now. But join us in the second half where we have an exclusive interview with former world number two and French Open finalist Magnus Norman. Casper Ruud speaks out on the Emer suspension. And we also have a mini par for the courts. So do not go anywhere. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a very impromptu, Chris. We don't normally do this, but you have a cheeky little path of the courts for me. Well, during the rain delay, I saw some of the champions up on the wall and I thought, I need to speak to Joel about this. I've got to put him to the test. I already know what the question is and I'm already sort of quaking in my... Well, in because this is for you, Joel, I have adapted it. So it is multiple choice. So this is a oh, very yes. unique, very oh, unique a rudimentary. I don't know whether to be uh, offended or or happy about that. A rudimentary. Because hopefully it will be in a positive light. I would I would take this as a positive, Joel. <laughs> okay. But in terms of what I'm asking, the par is set at one, and I'm asking you two questions. You've got to get <laughs> the one of them right. Par is set at one. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Okay. Pressure is on. It is obviously Swedish Open themed. And the questions relate to former champions. All you have to do, Joel, very simply, is tell me which one of these players is not a former Nordea Open champion. Okay. We have a question relating to the men's side of things and the women's. The first one, if you're ready, Joel. Yep, I'm ready. First one relates to the male champions. So which of these four players has never won the Nordea Open? Is it Benoit Pair, Jonas Bjorkman, Fabio Fornini, or Rafael Nadal? Ooh. There's some clay court specialists in there, and I think Rafa would have probably won it when he was like 18 or something. Yeah, Fabio Fornini as well. He loves a 250 clay, so I think he's probably won it. I think I'm going to... I just... I'm going to say... It's a toss-up between the first two, but I'm going to say Benoit Pair. I have to tell you that Benoit Pair has won it. Oh, has he? Oh, he has okay. indeed. I could not believe this because it's been so long since I can remember him winning a title. But he did indeed beat Tommy Robredo in the final in 2015. Wow. Blast from the past. A blast from the past. And now the pressure's on, Joel. You're a zero from one. Par was set at one. Which of these players has never won the Nordea Open out of Serena Williams, Sue Barker, Caroline Wozniacki, and Johanna Larson. Oh, wow. Johanna Larson. I don't, Johanna even, know Larson. Who that, I don't even know who that is. Um, Serena Williams. I can tell you Serena Williams won the title in 2013. Oh, no. And Sue Barker won it in 74 and 75. Oh, no. She defended the title. Oh, no. And strangely, Caroline Wozniacki was the right answer, who's reached the final in 2009 and 2017, mm. but never picked up the title. So who knew, Joel? Mm. And I have to say, Par was set at one. It was a tricky think... one. It was a tricky so, one. So hang on, if it wasn't Benoit Pair, was it, who was it? Was it Jonas Bjorkman? Jonas Bjorkman had never won the Swedish Open, correct? Oh, wow. I did forget about the answers for this, but <laughs> hopefully you played along at home. I'm sort of hoping my, our, my listeners, our listeners also maybe got the same as me and got zero but i feel like they probably got two from two probably but let us know <laughs> let us know and um just a bit of fun a little puff of the course and maybe we'll see how um kim did next next episode mm. i mean there were big talking points um coming out of uh the nordea open and probably one of them 
uh, you know, happened at the start of the week, and it was to do with Swedish tennis player Mikael Emer, who's been suspended um, for 18 months uh, for whereabouts failures in relation to drug testing. Now, he's come out on social media. I don't think he agrees with one of the, the failed uh, kind of whereabouts, um, I think was the, the third one, the, like the decisive one. Um, and it was quite interesting because I get the impression this was like the talk of the, the press room. And, you know, it was interesting, obviously, to hear what the players had to say as well. And this is what Kasper Ruud had to say on it. I personally I know him well and as a personal friend I it's sad news uh, you know professionally it's, um, it's the rules are there um, and everyone has to follow the rules uh, but for people who maybe don't understand exactly what has happened in this case it's uh, it's out of competition testing which is means that he's not uh, asked to be tested after a match and he refused it means that he was not there in the time slot that he's supposed to be at home probably because i think that he goes under the whereabouts system where we have to put in a system one hour every day uh three months in advance where we are supposed to be and this is in a way a fair system but at the same time as a player i have this system myself that i need to follow and it's not easy always because you somewhat feel like you live like a sort of prisoner in a way because you know that if you're not there when they show up in that hour of the day, you know, you are in trouble. And what I mean with saying that it feels like a prisoner sometimes is because let's say you have this time slot from nine to 10 one evening that you plan to be home or whatever to have dinner, but then a friend calls you and say, hey, you wanna go and grab a dinner and go to the movies tonight? And you say, yeah, I would love to, but I can't because in case the doping controllers come, I have to be home. So it's kind of like feels a little, tough sometimes to to not have the sort of possibility to kind of live somewhat spontaneously every now and then and i think that's the case here with michael that he's uh messed up a bit uh with the the whereabouts where he's supposed to be i don't know why he hasn't shown up or why he hasn't been there but i know from experience myself that Sometimes maybe some friends ask you to go to dinner and you say yes and then you forget oh from nine I was supposed to be home and then they call you at 9.55 and say you have five minutes to get here otherwise you get a warning and that can be a bit tough because you feel like you're kind of living under this like uh, someone who is controlling you every single day which is a little tough honestly but it is the rules and um, to me what was surprising was that he was um, he was uh, found, uh, you know, not guilty in the beginning. He was he was free from the the hearing, and then the ITF chose to appeal. So, to me, this kind of it's a bit surprising. I would think that the ITF was there to try to help the players, other than trying to appeal to get them more punishment. So, to me, this kind of screams or sends a message message from the ITF that they in this case didn't really help their players because Michael is a player who played the Grand Slams for many years now and you know without the players there's no tournament so I think that they should kind of send a stronger message that they actually try to help the players other than what has happened in this case where they appeal a decision that was made by someone independent from tennis who made a judgment and call and freed him and then for some reason they wanted to appeal don't ask me why but 
yeah, it's it's unfortunate for Michael, and um, it's going to be a tough period for him. It's 18 months without tournaments, without income, and probably he's going to want to try to appeal, but in the meantime, he won't be able to play a tournament. So it's kind of like you feel like a victim sometimes, and um, obviously hasn't been caught for you know illegal substance, but. Like I said, you have to respect the rules, and when you have two warnings and you know that three warnings is kind of very, very serious, then I don't know what has happened on the last one, but I've had two warnings myself one time, and I know how stressful it is because you know that at the third time you will have a hearing and it's going to be very important that you're, you're there and you feel like you're like kind of living under a knife on your throat, so it's a big mistake doing that, uh, getting that third warning, but uh, I know that it's, like I said earlier, that you kind of feel like you're living under, like Overwatch every single day of your life, that you're not able to be able to take a spontaneous trip because I have that hour that I have to follow or whatever, and that's a little tough sometimes for players and other athletes who are living under the whereabouts system. So this was the story, and it really did blow up in the Swedish media because they did take it out of context. So it was really important for us, even though that was quite a long answer, to play it in full because they really latched onto the prisoner side of the comments. We're saying that it can feel like a prisoner if you have to be at a certain mm-hmm. location and you have to be at home or yeah. at the disclosed location for that time. But clearly from his answer, he does not feel like a prisoner and he is on board with the rules. He does think it can be tricky at times, which is quite fair, but I guess, where do you stand on this? Because he did mention some things like, oh, if you want to go and see a movie, I'm like, well, bring the movie theatre to you, you're Casper Rood, like you can afford a big screen. Yeah, it's, I always feel like with these things, it's, it feels very, um, it can feel very impractical at times. Like these tennis players have busy lives and they don't want these people just sort of, you know, hounding them. But I totally get that, you know, in, in for this to be kind of fair and, um, you know, the integrity you literally need to I feel it it could be at any moment you need to have that fear I feel in the like in the players or in the athletes so that you know they are like aware and on top at anything and they can't like look to game or, or cheat the system so I sort of sympathize from kind of both the, the player angle but also I understand in terms of an integrity point of view I feel like you need to have the fear there in order to make sure it gets done right yeah, and for me, that my my only issue with it is that I think he hadn't necessarily thought about the answer before he started to kind of give mm. the answer because I'm very much from the Andy Murray school of thought when it comes to testing. We need more testing, not less testing. And I think it's a little bit naive to say, obviously, Ema in this case hasn't failed a test. And that doesn't mean that he hasn't taken something because no. one of the big reasons why you miss a test is because you know that it will come up positive. So I'm not saying in any way that he has used this or used an illegal substance, but they are not as innocent as they always seem that you rung the doorbell and no one was in. And so I think that's something that we have to keep in mind with the context of this, that this is querying the third offence, not the first two. And so when he says, when Ema says, I do not believe I broke those rules and my conscience is clear with God as my witness, I do think that two rules were, were broken, but you're allowed three. And Casper said he'd been on two as well and he had to be very careful, which was kind of a bit of a surprise to me that he'd been in a situation where he'd missed two. But I do think we have to have more testing. The integrity of the sport is so important. And if it comes down to, you know, saying you're going to be in a certain location, you miss that film with your mates, I think it's probably worth it when it comes to anti-doping in sports. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, it was a big, big breaking story. And uh, it was interesting to hear, I think, Casper Rudin and what he had to say about it. 
another person we actually got uh, interview time with was the tournament director, Magnus Norman. And all-around legend. And all-around legend. Uh, whoa, yeah. I, I mean, I'm really interested to hear you know, how your, your chat went with, uh, with Magnus because you were able to sit down with him. You said to me he was very charming and very, very handsome. Charming. Yeah. Very charming, very handsome. <laughs> I mean, he's, he spent a week schmoozing the business people of Bostar. Like, that's mm. all the deals are made this week. And every, <laughs> everywhere I look on social media, he's shaking someone's hand. So we were very lucky to get some time with him. And yeah, he was great to speak to. And it's been a fantastic week to be a tournament director with some of the stories that have come out of this week. And we got the chance to ask him about them. So we can have a little listen to that now. Um, it seems like it's going really well this year as yes. well. So you must be very busy, but you also must be really enjoying this week. For sure, it's been uh, uh, above expectations in terms of uh, the, the quality on the court and uh, the, the weather and uh, you know the crowds, sellout crowds this this weekend. So it's uh, yeah, it's amazing uh, to to see this uh, from from you know starting to talk about the tournament and which players should be should be asked to, to come to Boston and, and to see this. Uh, over the final weekend, it's amazing. Yeah, so it's one versus two in the final. Yes. Which you've been reliably informed hasn't happened since Soderling was in the final okay. many years ago. 2011. I believe so. Yeah. Um, that's obviously a tournament director's dream. Yes. Um, in terms of it being such a high profile final for a 250. Yes. Um, that's going to be something that must be really great for you. No, for sure. Uh, also, the semis, I think this uh, today was, was uh, you know, if you look at the other tournaments this week, it's uh, probably the the, the toughest the toughest draw and a fantastic Saturday and also dream final for sure tomorrow so it's going to be uh, well attended and uh, well watched throughout the, throughout the world of tennis so it's going to be yeah it's a dream for, for a tournament director for sure um, you mentioned the weather the weather forecast wasn't great for this week no, but have no. you learned from years of being tournament director that ignore the weather forecast in Boston yes because we are right at the, on, the, on, the, on the sea uh, and uh, we have a mountain in the back so it's uh, very easy that things change you know you can, it can be rain actually 10 minutes from here yeah above the, the hill and here it, it will not rain so but then if, if it starts to rain it can also stay here yeah a little bit so it's it's a bit tricky but we've been lucky this this week but and, uh, let's see tomorrow the forecast does, doesn't look too good but uh, but we have uh, Let's see what's going to happen. Fingers crossed for that. Yeah, um, exactly. I was going to say, so it was great seeing Leo Ball play here this yes, week, getting yes. his first ATP yeah. win. Another yeah. fantastic thing to happen in the Swedish tournament. Yes. Um, and then to play the Sunset match. Yeah. Um, a few words on kind of his progress and the fact that he was awarded uh, a wild card and then obviously got the first win here. I was, uh, it was a great story. Uh, it was great to, you know, that we went through with the Sunset tennis again, playing an evening match and then, uh, you know, just to hear uh, advantage Borg again on the center court. It was that was was amazing. It was Deja vu. I got goosebumps on my on my arm when I when I heard those those words. And it was nice to see Leo perform. Uh, he went out there and um, you know he really wanted to win the match. And I'm I'm quite. Uh, I have, I have seen him play in the past, but I haven't seen him play like full matches like I did this week. So I'm, I'm quite impressed by his game, I have to say. Yeah, same. And um, in terms of the fact that you've also obviously won this tournament multiple mm -hmm. times, um, you've also been a coach, now you're a tournament director. Yeah. Which one of those roles do you think that you enjoy the most? Um, which one's easier? Ooh, or none of them? Sorry, the least? No, none of them is easy, but uh, I would say uh, probably enjoy 
being a coach the most. Yeah. The most because that's where I really help the player. You know, you have some someone helps you who gives you all his dreams and hopes and puts you you know right at, in your knees mm. and then you work on, on something and then you see him uh, win the tournament or whatever, make progress. That's I think that's the, the nicest feeling. And kind of the most rewarding in some way. Most rewarding in some way. Exactly. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. In terms of um, the rewarding things about being a tournament director, yeah. um, I was going to ask you in terms of what's kind of the best thing, the worst thing, and are you able to um, cheer? <laughs> are you able to cheer or do you have to be very No, uh, no I, don't, I, don't, I don't really cheer for any players. I mean, it's a, a great point. A great point. Good tennis and uh, sort of uh, number one and, and number two in the final, of course, is the dream final. But then... I uh, I really enjoy when I see the joy in people's faces and uh, the joy in our you know sponsors' faces when they you know they do things and they really like the event and then the, the 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 players that we have and you know you see the the sellout crowd and you know all the smiles on everyone in yeah. one's faces that's most rewarding I have to say absolutely and then in terms of. Um, this being kind of very rewarding for the players, kind of a similar topic, this always does so well in terms of where players love playing, yeah. attracts great players, yeah. and players always vote it as kind of one of their favourite 250s to play. Yeah. Um, what is it, do you think, about the tournament that lends itself to that and, and how you're able to bring about such a positive experience mm. for players? I, yes, I think it would be easy to say that it's only the facilities. Uh, of course, the facilities hel helps, you know, because you have the hotel right in the middle of the tennis and you, you don't have and you have the restaurants there and you have you know you have everything within 200 meters but i think it's more more uh, the friendly environment like you know christer has made such a good job over the years to to make it a very uh, unique feeling it's a very familiar sort of feeling mm. uh, the girls at player services they know how to they, they make events every night different like we have the pizza night we have the, mm. the players night you know you have the game night and they, there's always something happening for the players but i think it's more than just a just the facilities and, and, and the games. It's of course it's, it's big crowds. Mm. It's nice to play. Uh, very knowledgeable crowd. Mm. Uh, but but I think it's more this uh, this, fe this feeling of, of belonging to the Boston family. Yeah, and it feels like it's almost like a village life yes. for a week where everything is so close and you don't have to get that long car drive. No, doesn't exist no. here in the same way. And, and you see uh, the other night at night, I saw Svea walking from the practice courts and no one really, everybody recognizing yeah. him, but no one really bothers him. Yeah. Like. We heard yeah. stories about that when Serena was here, that she just went to the supermarket by yeah. herself. Yeah, yeah. It must have no been so really nice. Like, yeah. 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 And she had a security guard and, and she said, no, I, don't, I want to go alone. And the security guard was a little bit like, so he, he kept following her a little bit, but she was there alone in the supermarket. Yeah. And, you know. Undercover. Yeah. And the final question, so what's your best memory from Boston in terms of, as a player, it could be, it could be this year, yeah. it could be anything, no. a best yeah. memory? I think winning my first ATP tour event in 1997 at 21 years old I think that was a dream come true for all all, all players yeah. winning a professional tournament and doing that at home you know yeah. I have so many memories I came to Boston first time when I was nine years mm -hmm. old and I came every every summer until I won when I was 21 so it was kind of yeah. special that's amazing I'm full circle yeah now here we are yeah, yeah. thank you so much yeah, thanks, no so problem. Much for the yeah. thanks a lot yeah thank you thank you thanks a lot. I think what's so fascinating from from his his background and his perspective is the fact that he has been a player um he's been a coach as well he coached uh, Stan Vavrinka and now um he's a, a tournament director so it's really interesting to see you know his his sort of view of of like those roles in tennis and you know what they are how they compare with each other 
And uh, it was interesting to him, I feel like, to hear about him. I think he almost like, would you say like he, he, he saw the benefits most with, with being a coach? Yeah, he did. And I think that was quite surprising because... I mean, I'm talking to the tournament director. And so I thought maybe he'd say, oh, being a tournament director is the best, possible the best thing job you ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And really, he said it's so much more rewarding seeing the benefit to a player you can have on a one to one basis. He's very involved in coaching as well with the academy and, and things that he's, he's set up. So I think that's something that's really nice about his answer, that it's not about personal glory. And that's very much in keeping with why he's such an all round um, great person to speak to. Um, and he did invite us back, Joel. He said, we have to come back. And if Ooh. Magnus asked me to come back, I'm booking that ticket <laughs> he now. He wants to shake your hand. He wants to shake your hand again. Exactly. I'm afraid, though, that there's no sort of big money deal uh, that comes with shaking the Tennis Weekly podcast hand. Just the appearance on Tennis Weekly HQ. I do enjoy that. I was, uh, you know, you spoke about the fact that he still keeps up his, his kind of coaching gig. And I do like how, you know, players who maybe they enter like a, a business role or a role off the court. I still like the fact that they kind of stay engaged with the world of tennis, like on the court as well. I think that's kind of like really, really nice. Cause I think that, you know, that builds the empathy and I think that builds the kind of the, the relationships and the authenticness, I think between, you know, a tournament director and, and trying to get like big name, big name players to come, to come your event. And, um, Again, it was interesting, I think, to hear around the fact that, you know, this was a 250 event and we got two top 10 players in the final. I'd love to know. I haven't really researched it, but like that does not happen, I feel, very often um, on it the doesn't. ATP tour. It doesn't. It doesn't come cheap either. So there was some talk after the final as well in terms of when they said, oh, Rublev, would you like to come back? And he said, well, mm. you have to speak to the guys in the suits next to me. Um, so I think it is a case where they obviously are very good at attracting people from a player perspective, as he kind of spoke about saying how much they love playing here. Mm. But they also make it worthwhile for the players. And it was certainly worthwhile for Tennis Weekly to be there. And so we have to thank Magnus Norman for the wonderful tournament and for speaking with us. But also special thanks go to Christian, who was the leader of the press office, who did a wonderful job. Martin from the ATP. Alice, who's the press assistant, but also a longtime listener. And then Christina, Pierluigi and Veronica, who were all press assistants. Thank you so much for giving us such a wonderful time looking after us um, and inviting us back next year. So I'm pretty sure I'll be there, but maybe we'll see if Joel makes the trip to the place he can't say the name of. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to go and ask the locals to get like the, the proof. And actually, I just want to get to Pepe's. Pepe sounds like a Pepe's great... Pepe's bodega sounds like Joel's vibe. It You're sounds like the place there. to go. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm just sold on that. So yeah, maybe, maybe in the future we will go there. But uh, yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the ATP and WTA Tour. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. The handle for all of those is at Tennis Weekly Pod. And we'll be posting videos from some of these interviews. So do make sure that you follow us. Really excited for those. Yeah, there's some fun, <laughs> fun reactions, uh, especially some of the Rublev reactions. So well worth a look at. And then you can also email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. 
Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.